Hello, and welcome to the Rothwell Center for Teaching and Learning Excellence podcast. Our mission here at RCTLE is to empower faculty members in their pursuits of professional growth through diverse offerings for the universal goal of student success. Each episode will offer insight into best teaching practices, new resources, and interesting people here at Embry-Riddle Worldwide. We hope you will find our show to be helpful and enlightening. Happy listening! Today I'm speaking with Dr. Deborah Bordeaux. She's the current chair for the Department of Humanities and Communication, and Dr. Beverly Wood, associate professor in the Department of STEM Education. And congratulations are in order for both of you. Since Deborah, you have recently been promoted to associate dean for student success in academics, which is effective in August. And we just got the email yesterday that Beverly's been promoted to associate professor and earned her tenure spot, which is awesome. So congratulations to you both. That's huge, huge accomplishment. Super proud of you guys. So at first, I just want to talk a little bit about your backgrounds, get to know you guys a little bit better. So I'll go to Deborah first. Uh, Can you tell us about your background and what led you to Embry-Riddle Worldwide? Okay, so my PhD is in English from the University of Georgia, where I was um, specializing in this really interesting intersection of visual art and text, specifically with 18th century engravers such as William Blake and William Hogarth. And I did one of the first, it was called Humanities Computing, but now Digital Humanities, uh, dissertation projects from the university, which was a project on William Hogarth, which I'm still maintaining to this day. I've revitalized it and I've, I've done that. So I've always been interested in this kind of intermediality, these these artists and, and writers who work in more than one medium to convey their message. That's been my kind of research focus forever. So I consider myself really an interdisciplinary humanist. I don't just work with written literature, but also with visual representations of things. Um While I was finishing my dissertation there, I had moved back to the metro Atlanta area and started working as an adjunct faculty member at the Atlanta campus. And in 2005, I was hired as the full-time center faculty chair, a position that later became the director of academics in Atlanta. And then when the colleges formed, I was moved into the College of Arts and Sciences as an assistant professor, received my tenure and promotion to associate professor last year. Uh, And I've been serving as department chair. This is my fifth year as department chair. So that's been kind of my journey at, at Worldwide. That's great. And I will ask you the same question, Beverly. Tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to ERAU. So I received my bachelor's degree in mathematics and uh, wanted to be a professor, but I was married to a military guy and uh, we moved around and I never completed a master's degree to do that. So I spent about 15 years working in in business, in industry, a lot of it part-time raising children, and got involved in a training program for a new software that was coming out to the, the plant and remembered how much I love teaching and how that whole thing, you know, just came back to me. And so I did get a master's degree in uh, mathematics education and taught as an adjunct at a few places and thought, this is really what I want to do full time. 
So I moved my whole family to the University of Virginia, to Charlottesville, Virginia, and got my PhD also in mathematics education. And through this whole thing, my favorite part of mathematics was statistics. So I taught only introductory statistics for five, six, seven years, and then got my PhD full-time position at a, a school in Florida and taught a whole lot of statistics as well as some other math. So once again, my husband's job caused me to need to look for other work. And coming to Embry-Riddle Worldwide meant that we would never, ever have to live apart again in order for us to both be employed. So that is how I came to Embry-Riddle. I was hired as the discipline chair for mathematics and uh, computer science, which included statistics. I led the, the drive to identify statistics courses as something different from mathematics because I think that it is. And here we are back to me and Deborah having so much in common is this, this interdisciplinary idea. George Box is a 20th century statistician who would talk about the best part about being a statistician is you get to play in everybody's backyard. So you can do statistics in pretty much any field of human endeavor. And so you get to mix things up. And that's what I definitely like. I've always been an avid reader. So this is how Deborah and I ended up collaborating. Yes, Mm -hmm. I thought that's great. I heard through the grapevine that Deborah Bordeaux and Tom Seeland, that you guys were presenting at a conference and were going to be talking about portfolio options you were going to be able to give to your students or to our students. They could upload general education artifacts. I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. So I went through and I tried to find the research article and I couldn't find it, but I found you guys' research article and I was extremely interested in this concept that I had never heard of, which is humanistic STEM. You know, the humanities mixed with the STEM courses, which I think is really important since this is a primarily like STEM focused university and we have all these, you know, science minded and mathematical minded people at the school. But, you know, we still have humanities courses and general education courses that are still important. So I would like to ask you guys, what is humanistic STEM from your perspective and why do you think it's important? So humanistic STEM, like you said, is the blend of humanities and STEM. Um, It provides kind of this multiple lenses of inquiry. So you're looking at things through multiple lenses in the class. It really gives, I think, and I think the most exciting thing about it is it gives the full context of how ideas are born or discoveries are made, because none of these things ever happen in a vacuum, right? So Probably one of the best examples, I'll use this example every time and Beverly might roll her eyes, but we, we spend a long time in our uh, Humanities 333 course reading Frankenstein, and that's on purpose because it really makes the point about HSTEM very well because there's no way to really understand that book unless you know the science that Mary Shelley would have known. What was on her bookshelf? What were her philosopher parents reading? Um, who did she talk to? Who was in her circle of people? What was the controversy at the time? What was making the news? What what were people concerned about? What was the what were the fringe theories? What were the popular theories? And we tend to study things in isolation. You study this as a work of literature. We might learn about the history of science or the history of mathematics, but you don't look at the impact of those ideas on the other intellectual endeavors of that time. And this course really does that. It places things in that full context so that you 
I mean, you just great get a greater understanding of the world you live in, of the works of of art, and also of scientific theory. Kind of what are those things born out of? What were the conversations that were happening there? I really see this as a way to elevate the humanities, the relevance of the humanities at our STEM-focused institution and among our STEM-focused students. Uh, They have a hard time valuing some of the competencies like critical thinking and creative problem-solving and ethical reasoning that are often found kind of more frequently in humanities courses. So this is a way to blend that with the STEM content and hopefully reinforce the relevance of both meta-disciplines, but you know, especially for me, the humanities, because I think they get enough reinforcement of the relevance of STEM at at a STEM institution. But we also want them to see the value of that uh, and to be able to see themselves as creators and uh, creative problem solvers and ethical reasoners and creative critical thinkers and all of those things. I like our definition in this article that you talked about. It's where we defined it. You know, like so we repeat this all the time too. I'm surprised that didn't <laughs> quote it. Um the study of science, technology, engineering and mathematics that combines with the interest in and concern for human affairs, welfare, values and culture. So if you can last long enough to read all those phrases, that's that's what we're trying to do is that we can't I, we go on and talk about the goals that STEM disciplines can't exist without the the humanities. I mean, uh, rhetoric, literature, history, philosophy, art, religion, and ethics all have something to say about what we think is progress. And lots of current people think progress means some new technological toy or some scientific discovery. And what we're trying to put forth is that, in fact, why would we even do these things if we didn't care about these humanistic things? And so um, I think it's important for our engineering students and our aeronautics students and our business students to understand that new technology, new engineering, new discoveries, finding life on Mars, all of those things are worthwhile, but only because they have something to do with what makes us human. And we can't make progress on those things unless we consider the humanistic side. Yeah, I think that's a great definition. And a couple things I wanted to point out from the article, I loved when you both talked about the ethics portion of it. And we're going to have these students in these really high positions eventually. Hopefully that's what we're preparing them for. And they're going to be having to make big decisions that impact people's lives, like they're flying airplanes and they're doing all these crazy things. And they're going to have to have some sort of ethics background and a humanities background to take into consideration humanity empathy in order to inform those decisions. We don't want to send these people out not understanding those concepts. So I think it's really important that they realize that these skills they're learning in these humanities courses are going to serve them all through their careers, which is really awesome. And there was also a point in the article where you're talking about getting degrees in the humanities, students who get those degrees in like English, humanities, art history, things like that. You learn how to critically think and critically interpret. And those are skills that are never going to be outdated. So, you know, you might have to learn new technology, might have to learn new software and take refresher courses, get new certificates. But the skills that you've learned in humanities and English 
and all of those courses, those skills are going to last you forever. So there's so much I could really talk about it for a really long time, but there's so much in that article that goes to show how intertwined the humanities are with STEM. I mean, I have a four-year-old daughter and a lot of our books, you know, we're working on counting and numbers and we're using art and visuals to teach our kids how to do these things anyway. So it really starts from a very young age and there's no way to really separate that out. I would agree with you. I think that I, I think our point here is not to say, hey, look, this is something brand new but rather that we're actually thinking about it and that we're not kind of hiding the fact in our Mm -hmm. disciplinary silos that so often happen at the university level and even at kindergarten. Now it's math time and now it's reading time and now we're going to do science. And uh, that's an unfortunate product of our educational system. It has implications for general education, too. Our students a lot of times will look at their general education requirements as these checklists. Here are my six hours of math. Here are my nine hours of English. Here's my science. And never shall they blend together. This is this goes here. And and Beverly can tell you that in some of her math courses, when they've had students write short uh, explanations of things, they're like, this is not an English class. Why am I writing in here? So this idea that certain skills and certain things go here and I, I'm never going to write. I'm not a writer. We, we want to get rid of that idea. That, a, that an educated person, a well-rounded person should be able to uh, blend these skills. And, they, and like you said earlier, the, the technical skills are important. And there's a quote now, I can't remember who said it since I'm trying to think of it, that those skills get you hired. It's the other, the critical thinking, the ethical reasoning, the good communication skills. That's what gets you promoted in a position. So, um, you know, we, we want to promote that as needed by everybody. Good communicators are needed everywhere. Uh, people who can ethically reason or critically think are needed everywhere in every field. So you guys have worked together to create Human 333 or H-U-M-N 333. And in the syllabus or in the course, the course description says students will explore representations of mathematics and science and literature, film and popular culture, traditional media, books, drama, film, and television, as well as web-based media like web comics, YouTube series, and podcasts will be the venues in which students discuss the portrayal of the lives of scientists and mathematicians, as well as scientific theories and mathematical concepts. So this, that's the description of the course, and this is, you know, one of the first courses that has taken on this topic together, STEM and the humanities. So I'd like to hear from you guys about the story of how you guys decided to team up and take on this huge undertaking. Oh, we love to tell the story. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know who wants to tell it first. <laughs> um, well, I started it, right? <laughs> well, we've been friends for a long time, and we've always wanted to work together. So we were trying to figure out how how can we work together. The Academy tells us that you belong over there and I belong over here. And if we were on a physical campus, she would be in the math building and I probably would never have met her, you know, but uh, luckily we have some, have some (laughs) opportunities. So we, we thought for a very long time about how we might work on something. And then Beverly got a play sent to her for review that was uh, on the history of mathematics. And so she thought this would be a good opportunity for us to work together on something because it was a play, uh, but it also had, you know, it was mathy. So, so we had that. So we were reading this play together and we we're having a conversation about it. And one of the characters in the play is Leibniz, who I knew as the object of ridicule in 
uh, Voltaire's Candide. Like he, he's the philosopher that they're making fun of all the way through for believing that it's the best of all possible worlds and all of this. And so that's how I knew him because he was the, the real life figure who inspired that. And then Beverly can tell you the rest of that. So I knew Leibniz as the mathematician who invented calculus. He is the one who uses the little delta x, delta y in calculus. And most of the notation that we use in calculus comes from Leibniz's work, which was happening kind of overlapping with Isaac Newton, which is when I was in school, I thought Newton was the inventor of calculus. That's that's the way it was presented to me. But in the recent years, they've been you know opening up beyond just England and the United States as being people who use math, which, of course, is, has always been true. There's been lots of French and German mathematicians. And then, of course, now even we talk about beyond that. So anyway, I only knew that he was a mathematician and invented calculus, and he trained Bernoulli, the uncle of Daniel Bernoulli, of the making the airplanes fly, aerodynamics, uh, Bernoulli's principle. So, I mean, this is, this is where I knew Leibniz. And she's talking about Candide, and I had no idea that we were, it's like, what do you mean? How can that be? He's a mathematician. And she says, no, he's a philosopher. And this is the light bulbs go off for both of us, that yeah. we each oh, only I, knew part. Right, that we were these, I mean, we're pretty educated people, and how did we not know this whole other part of this important figure's life? Like, And, and so we, we came to the conclusion that if it was that much of a mystery for us, then how how are these things being taught to our undergraduate students? And if if it took us this long to kind of combine our information and realize the full let remember that full intellectual context is the big part of this. So we said, you know what? We think this is going to be the genesis of our way to work together. And we were in Daytona at a worldwide conference. And I remember bringing to Beverly nine little sheets of paper from a notepad that I had. Each one was a module for Humanities 333. And I brought it to her and I, she was on the other side of the room. I said, here's our course. And uh, I think she really questioned whether she wanted to work with me anymore at that point. <laughs> Here it is. And it's all sketched out, like literally drawn. <laughs> Here's what we're doing. But we decided that it would absolutely need to be co-developed, that the concept demanded co-development, yeah. that, that we both needed to be in there contributing our knowledge to it uh, just on the, the basis of how we were theorizing this concept. And that it was Ideally going to be co-taught too. Co-development is, is the absolutely essential element, I think, of HSTEM. So we started working on it and then we, we were lucky enough to get to, to teach it together and then we were lucky enough to get funding to go find out what other people were doing that was similar to this. And we, we came to the conclusion that a lot of people are combining STEM and humanities, but it's usually to get students more excited about STEM subjects, which, which they have problems with. We were doing something that was uh, elevating the humanities among our STEM-focused students. I have looked through the course, and it is beautiful. Those modules, the way you guys have the graphics side-by-side side and the images and those interactive presentations, it really is one of the most beautiful courses I have looked through. It's so well-designed. The content is great. I've read Frankenstein. I've looked through those discussions. I feel like you're, the students are really interested in it. It seems like it has been going well. So now that 
I think it's run roughly four times. What are some of your takeaways now that the course is up and running and you guys have both been able to co-teach it a few times? It's it's hard for me <laughs> as a mathematician, statistician, educator, but honestly, this is becoming one of my favorite classes. I mean, I, I won't give up the other entirely. I'm not, I'm not that yeah. crazy, <laughs> but because it's so different. I mean, and I think this is one thing that comes up a lot of the time about what is the difference between STEM and humanities. And I've heard it repeatedly that there's always a correct answer or an approximately correct answer in math or statistics. But in humanities, there are no right and wrong. And, and that's probably an exaggeration, too. But there's that those two kinds of things. And so coming and te- the first time I taught it for, I thought it was going to die. I mean, (laughs) discussion boards that go on and on and on and on and on forever, every one of which needs a reference thing at the bottom. And (laughs) I thought that was going to kill me. But then I go back and I teach um, an algebra class and I'm like, oh, this is so boring. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm actually working on math to make it better, too. So, yeah, I just really like the team teaching because I don't know everything. And I like learning from Deb, just like my students do. But I also like engaging. It's the only place I've been able to teach um, students with a math minor because I don't teach the upper level math courses. And so um, I never get to interact with people who are also students who are also interested in mathematics, except in this course. And so it's really cool to talk about the mathematics of hidden figures and some of the web comics and some of the blogs are very mathematical. And but Deb sees things that I don't. And, and, and it gets the students to engage in those kinds of conversations that just fill me up. It is my, also my, probably the most rewarding teaching experience I've had in my career, which is getting longer by the day. But, uh, <laughs> one thing, one big takeaway for me is that our students are more creative than they ever imagined. They start off the class telling us how they're not creative, how they're very analytical, as if the two things are complete opposites and can't exist together, how they don't see themselves as creative. And to, to me, that if I if I didn't know how the story was going to end, it would be tragic, right, to see all of those people think that they just didn't have this capacity within them. And then over the course of the class, they start to become storytellers and creators, of their own. So not only are they doing analysis of these things, but they're creating their own media journals and their own digital media projects at the end of the course. Some of them end up doing podcast series, like I told you, and it's, it's changing them. And they'll tell you a lot of them at the end say they want to continue their podcast series, or they say that this class has impacted how they see the world or how they see themselves, which I think is probably the most important thing that they didn't realize they had this capacity within them. Um, the class opens with this funny little video uh, that Beverly and I made just as a joke to kind of orient them to the HDM concept where we're joking around with each other and asking how we could possibly be friends because we're so different. And we end up telling them in that video that it's a false dichotomy to say that science and humanities are separate things. And we, we tell them that we're Leonardo's, that Leonardo was the one who Leonardo da Vinci to blend these two things, which his birthday was yesterday. So very fitting. And we encourage, we tell them that we're Leonardo's. We see ourselves and we encourage them to be Leonardo's. And they really do take this to heart in the class. They talk 
kind of consistently through the class about their moments of being a Leonardo or finding themselves becoming a Leonardo. And at the very end, they write reflection statements that talk about them themselves as becoming closer to being a Leonardo, this Renaissance person in that that is so different in contrast from the the way they talked about themselves at the beginning of the course that you you can literally see the impact i mean you can you can see it happen within nine weeks with the student from i'm not creative i don't have a creative bone in my body to i really have started on my path to becoming a leonardo renaissance person i've found an area where i'm creative or i've learned to appreciate even if they themselves can't create they appreciate it and they can understand how to talk about creative work uh, and, and talk about creation and talk about what they what they see in a work of art or what they see in a film or something that they admire. And they have a new language in which to do that. And, you know, the, again, I think that's the most profound thing that I take from this course is that transformation that I've seen every time that we've taught the class. I keep thinking maybe one time it won't happen, but it happens every single time. There's a moment in every class at which Beverly gets an email from me that says, look at this. And it'll be a quote from a student discussion board or from a media journal. Watch minute two of uh, John Doe's media journal. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. So every time we taught the class, there's that moment where we realize, this is what we're doing. This is what we're trying to do. That is really, really exciting. As an educator, that's what, you know, you want to influence your students that way. And that is always the goal. But, you know, sometimes that doesn't happen. So it's, you know, really exciting that you guys have really you know, had this aha moment and come full circle to not knowing how to work together to now you are really making such a big impact in this field and helping students to understand what they're really capable of. So that's really exciting. And I'm super happy for you guys. So you've started with human three, three, three. So what is the next step? Are we stopping at this course? Are we going to move forward and create more courses? What, what's the plan? Well, we have already created new courses. So Ooh. in this module model and uh, several others that are in the pipeline to be created and a few that we're going to um, tweak some more and make them look like this. And so all of the ones that we're going to call humanistic STEM courses are going to have all that stuff that you were talking about, the the different organization layout, lots of gorgeous pictures, uh, videos, and all that kind of stuff that's in this one that makes it look so different from all the other, other courses. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the next pair of courses that we did that look like this um, are learning to reason. They're math courses, Math 201 and 202, and uh, they were team-developed. There were actually four of us, so Deb from Humanities and Alex Reister from Communication, yeah. Jerry Krantz from Statistics, and me from Math. And so we, the four of us, created these two courses, and we started with long talk with the communications faculty at Daytona Beach. And uh, they're telling us, what does a somebody who graduates with a communication degree from Embry-Riddle, what sort of math and science thing should they, math things should they know? And unsurprisingly, a lot of statistical things came up, digital uh, data visualization, um, like proportionality and quantitative reasoning sort of skills. And so we, from that conversation, we created the two course, the list of content, mathematical content that would be in those two things. And then we blended that with some of this humanistic STEM 
things. So each has eight learning outcomes, four of which focus really on math and four of which focus on this blending sort of idea. So we ended up with all kinds of interesting work. It's kind of a sampler of mathematics. You get a little geometry, a little trig, a little calculus, a little lot of stat, um, a bunch of economic proportions and indices and that kind of stuff. So there's good stuff in there and we try to get them to be creative also and look at big pictures, the intellectual context in which these dis, uh, parts of mathematics came into the culture. So uh, so those are, and those just ran for the first time this last year. So we're waiting to see, but um, I had students in there who were, I don't think I'm going to graduate because I can't pass Math 112 calculus, and or I've tried three times to take pre-calculus, and I'm never going to pass. And they took this class and were not only grateful that they were now able to pass something that had mathematics in it, but they could see that mathematics was actually important to them in a way that the other types of mathematical training had never done for them. They could understand that this had something to do with everyday life and Mm -hmm. professional obligations. So, and got to be creative in the process. They wanted to do the writing and making videos and that sort of stuff because uh, that was so much more interesting than just solving for X. I think I need to take this course. Yes, I think so. So I can also find that the purpose of math in my life. (laughs) (laughs) So coming soon, um, there's a baseball and statistics course. So we have a baseball historian and he manages. So he's going to talk about the history of baseball and the use of statistics in baseball. We have a digital humanities class coming, so blending technology and humanities. We're going to revise our existing um, humanities 400 and history one 30 courses to be a little bit more humanistic stem in their focus. There's a great new class coming developed by Donna Roberts called the psychology of creativity and innovation. Um, It talks about creativity all across different disciplines. So we're hoping to package these courses as a minor so that students could take something like that to an employer and say, yeah, I have these tech skills. I can work on an airplane. I can do this. But you know what? I'm also this kind of person. I, I, I'm creative. I think critically and that they'll have, you know, that that something that makes them a little bit unique. And we're also kind of dipping into we're trying trying to get some external funding for this idea so that we can adapt this model to other institutional contexts beyond Embry-Riddle, that to see what elements of it work elsewhere, too, in other kinds of places. I think that that is really, really cool. I feel like I haven't heard, I mean, not that I know a lot of people, but I feel like I haven't heard people doing it this way before. And I feel like it's really, really exciting. And I hope that you guys get so much recognition because this is so cool. I keep saying cool over and over again. Well, there is a second half. You read the first one. There is a part two, so we'll send we'll send out the information for that too because it's yes. been very recently published. So I will yes, and I will link both of those in our episode description so people have access to them. Yeah, as far as spreading the news far and wide, Embry Riddle has been uh, been supporting us generously to go to many venues. So Deb is a uh, member of the National Numeracy Network now, and I am a member of the Northeast Modern Language Association. Oh. (laughs) We've been going to the joint mathematics meetings, so I joke all the time that I'm kind of an honorary mathematician. I've been presenting at math conferences and publishing in a math humanistic math journal so doesn't that make me a mathematician yeah, yes it does <laughs> so 
we, we joke about that. And now, of course, Beverly has been to the Northeast MLA twice, so can't she say she's a humanist? I think, I think absolutely so. Can. Yeah, I think so. You guys do it all. You are Renaissance women. <laughs> Yes, Leonardo. So bringing this back to our faculty here at Embry-Riddle Worldwide, most of them are very discipline specific, you know, as we would expect. So how can our faculty that are teaching in these specific disciplines make sure that they are able to offer a well-rounded approach in their own courses? They need to start by talking to their colleagues, break those silos. Get out, get out of that kind of thinking that uh, where are places in your courses where another perspective might bring greater depth to what you're talking about, that, that a colleague who might be in another discipline could, could add information that would have students understand something on a much deeper level. That's the place to start. You can do this in classes with small assignments. You don't have to develop a huge age STEM course. You can do this with small class. Our astronomy class has has a little H stem has H stem pieces of it. When it was developed, they do a project about the uh, name origins of various stars and constellations and things like that. So they get into that culture and mythology and those those kind of things. And so you can you can do those things. You can t- you can bring a poem in or talk about a work of art and. And make sure that you explore the deeper relevance of the things that you're teaching. None of us, none of these things exist in a vacuum, right? Mm-hmm. They all connect to other parts of the culture. And how do you show those connections to students? It makes it more meaningful to them, too. They remember that and that they remember that this is something that's important beyond this class. This has bigger implications. Absolutely. So we're working in mathematics, in STEM education departments, so both science and mathematics, statistics, computer science, all of those things, um, actually talking about this, this humanistic, um, infusions. Uh, how do, how do we infuse some of this in there? And math books in particular have been very bland in putting a little bio of the, per, of a person. So a theorem is named after somebody and they put a little picture of this old white guy in a in a box and put a little thing said this guy invented calculus or something and it's just not enough there needs to be a bigger story around that and so we're we're looking for places we have a number of math assignments that are to go and look at find a mathematician who worked with this kind of math and uh, write something and it's usually something creative and that's what they complain about they they don't want to write a job cover letter for um, Newton applying for a job at Boeing or something. They don't, they don't want to do that. We, so we need to look for something that might better, you know, be explicit about how that should be a thing for the, and the, our instructors are not sold on it either, which doesn't, you know, doesn't help. So we need to do that. So we're talking humanistic STEM in all of our department meetings and trying to get people to be a little more thoughtful about this uh, well-rounded approach. Yeah, hopefully they'll all listen to this episode and they'll all read your research and they will become sold because I really do feel like this push is what is going to set our students apart. I mean, so much about Embry-Riddle sets our students apart because we're amazing. But I think that this emphasis on the humanities and critical thinking and all of that is going to help them bring a lot more to the table for their future employers and in their life. So 
I, I hope everybody can get on board, even in little ways. You know, Deborah said that you don't have to go out and create a whole entire course or a whole entire module, but adding little things in your announcements, like images mm-hmm. and stuff, little things go a long way. You don't know who that's going to affect. I mean, maybe a couple students won't read it, but most of them will. All right, is there anything else that you guys would like to add or plug or promote or talk about? That second article. Okay, the second article. And what's the title of that second article? I think it's just Humanistic STEM from Concept, Concept of Course. But well, it's about the Humanities 333 class from, okay. from the basically everything that we talked about here and, and even more uh, detail about what students do in that course and how they've responded to it and uh, about their um, their experiences there and what we think that they're getting out of the class and kind of where we want to go from there. So there should be a third article soon. We're hoping uh, to submit. We, we presented this as a series of three potential articles. Of course, each one has to be reviewed when we submit it, peer-reviewed when we submit it. But when we approached the Journal of Humanistic Mathematics, we presented this as a potential series of three. So the third one, I think, will be more about kind of creating this HSTEM program or initiative and how there are various ways to do this through courses through developing this model that could be extrapolated into other institutional contexts and things like that. So it'll be more about kind of getting it from the course to the program from expanding it. Definitely. I want to get the word out. I think that faculty members or whoever is stumbling upon this will be inspired by the process because of you guys working together and how you're so seemingly different. But obviously you've made it work. So I feel like our faculty members can make it work too in little ways in their own classes. So definitely want to spread the word and be your cheerleader. (laughs) I really, really appreciate you guys speaking with me. This has been really fun. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye. That's all we have for today. And thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions or even suggestions for topics you'd like to hear in the future, feel free to leave a comment below or send an email to rctle at erau.edu.